0: Uh, before we get to today's message, I, I have a prayer request. As many of you know, there was a terrible accident in mainland Japan involving an Osprey that, uh, that crashed. And very sadly and tragically, uh, eight crew members uh, passed away in that accident. And so certainly our condolences to the families and the friends, um, the community that's all involved in that. Uh, one of the crew members uh, tech sergeant Zach Lavoy he, he actually started recently attending uh, fellowship and church with us uh, along with a few of his co-workers and uh, and so you know it, it, it hits home um, and there's actually another young man who also passed away uh, Jake Turnage uh, he he lived here as a missionary kid uh, with cadence his parents were cadence missionaries they helped out on the base with the youth group um, and he was his his parents uh, um, and his dad actually his dad Jim Turnage uh, is a Calvary Chapel assistant pastor in South Carolina and so um, you know church family I think we just want to continue to pray pray for God's comfort and peace and presence um, yeah just the, the strength of the Lord to be uh, just ever so tangible. Uh, in their lives, especially for the families um, during this holiday season as it's coming up. And so these sobering reminders for us all that um, none of us are promised tomorrow, Uh, you know, as we continue to study the scriptures and even as we talk about today, uh, we're grateful for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ and to know that to be um, absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And, And so we thank you for the hope that these families have too, that they'll see their loved ones. All right. Well, we are in 2 Peter chapter 3 this morning. If you have a Bible, you can turn there with me to 2 Peter 3. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to loan you one. You can raise your hand real high and the ushers will be happy to let you borrow a Bible so you can follow along with us and read and see the scriptures for yourself. Again, it's 2 Peter 3. We're going to be looking at verses 11 through 14. Uh, 11 through 14. Entitled our our message this morning to look inward, and forward and upward. Essentially, that's what Peter is writing in these verses for us. He's going to orient our perspective uh, forward and upward, and also inward. And so again, Second Peter three. If you're there with me, I'm going to invite you to stand, uh, read these verses aloud. We'll. trust the spirit will lead and guide and illuminate the very things he gave to Peter. Verse 11 says, therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, and we'll talk about context. What does he mean by these things? Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved. Peter asks, what manner of persons, what kind of person ought you and I to be? And holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with a fervent heat. So, what kind of person ought we to be? That's the question. He says, Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, we look for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And Peter says, Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things. What are we to do? Here's the application. Be diligent. Be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless. He'll go on, but we're going to pause there. Appreciate LJ's prayer for us. When you take a moment, you can greet your neighbor and then you have a seat. And then we will unpack these verses. The scriptures are amazing in many ways one of one of those ways uh, is that it provides us a a lens uh, a type of scriptural prescription, if you will, in which we can we can view our life and and view things uh from heaven's perspective and and it's a lens that operates in a in a multitude of ways you know it's a lens that uh, in many ways, is a corrective lens. That we look at the world around us and we look at things that are happening to us and, and, and we can become myopic, right? We, we focus on the wrong things. And, and so it straightens out what's skewed for us. And so it's a lens of correction. It's a lens of faith. It allows us to see the things that we don't see, if you will, with our natural eye. Uh, the Bible says that we're to walk by faith and not by sight. The idea, not just by sight alone, not just by our own senses. Paul writing to the Corinthian church in Second Corinthians 4.18, excuse me. He says, while we don't look at the things which are seen, but the things that are not seen or unseen. For the things that we see, they're, they're temporary things. They're temporal. But it's the things that we can't see, which are just as real as and more important, they're eternal. And so it's through the scriptures, it's through the lens of the Bible that we get to see these things. We get to walk by faith and, and, and it's a lens of faith for us. It's also a lens that reveals the future. It's through the Bible that we get to, to see what's on the horizon. It, it's, it provides us a view, a sneak peek of coming events. And it's in that view, it's in that lens that Peter has been writing and and he's been reminding the reader of what has been promised before and what will remains and what will be. What's coming? And what's coming? Well, Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming back. And along with that fact, Peter then also writes three perspectives that we should adopt, three responses that we should take as we consider what's coming our way. And it's in these verses from 11 through 14 that as we unpack them, we'll see that Peter directs us to look inward, to, to make a consideration, make an evaluation, a diagnostic of our life and our pursuits and our desires. He's going to tell us, that we get to look forward, looking for these things, looking forward to these things. And also the implication that we get to look upward. There's a new heaven and there's a new earth and the promise of redemption. It's, it's coming. Jesus would say, look up for your redemption draws nigh. And so we're going to consider these things together this morning. I draw your attention back to verse 11, where he, he, pivots. He continues. He says, therefore, uh, since all these things will be dissolved last week, if you're with us or you're familiar with this section, uh, verse 10, uh, we pulled that apart together. We, we spent one Sunday just looking at verse 10 alone with the hopes to, to understand what did Peter mean by these particular phrases that he uses that appear often in scripture, the day of the Lord and the, the fact that it's coming as a thief in the night. And, and, and the bottom line was this. The basic meaning of those phrases was this. That Jesus Christ is coming back soon. And we can qualify that at, by at any time. Unexpectedly. We can't predict it. And when he comes back, God is going to judge the world. And how will he judge the world? Well, he's going to judge the world by fire. And so that the world and everything as we know it, it's going to be destroyed. These are the facts of our faith. This is what's going to happen. Peter now, after setting forth the facts of our faith, he now points us to what do we do in light of that? What do we do in response to what God is going to do? And and we're going to see, he brings us to application really through the the rest of chapter three. Uh, Verse 11, it's therefore do this. Verse 13, it's nevertheless, we do something. And then verse 14, therefore, he he uses that same phrase again. And in each of these Words brings us into a, a response. It brings us to a practical application. What do we do in light of now what we know? What does he tell us to do? Well, he sets forth a reminder of what he's just written, the, the, the summary of it, that since all these things will be dissolved. What are these things? Well, verse 10, he's told us he's referring to heavens. He's referring to the earth as we know it, the, the elements. He says, it's the works. It's everything, all of the stuff on planet earth. And Peter painted for us a very somber, forlorn picture of the future. That God is the originator of the scorched earth policy. And that one day the universe, as we know it, will cease to exist. That the day of the Lord will come and it will come with destruction and it will come with doom. Did you know there's, there's a, there's a doomsday clock. Like you can actually go on a website and there's a, there's an official doomsday clock. There's a group of atomic scientists and, and these other scientists and experts who, uh, by virtue of looking at world events and technological advances and the climate and culture and politics and, 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 and wars and all these other factors, and, and they calculate when the end of the world's going to be. And they have this doomsday clock. I took a screenshot uh, of it. And so, On their clock, according to their calculations, midnight is the end of the world. Midnight is, we're done. In 2010, we were six minutes to midnight, according to their calculations. In 2023, uh, we're we're 90 seconds to midnight. Now, what does that mean? what's um, What's the conversion rate? I have no idea. They don't tell us. Uh, but even the secular world has this sense that the world is heading to a catastrophic end. Now, the Doomsday clock or calendar, it really only affirms what the scripture and Peter has already told us. An end is coming. Now, we were reminded last Sunday, we don't know exactly when. No one knows the day or the hour, but we, we know seasons. We, we know uh, the signs. Jesus described them as birth pangs. These things that will begin to happen. But we don't know exactly when. But what do we know? Well, we, we know it will. We know it's coming. And we know who and we know how. That Jesus Christ is coming. And when He comes, the world will be destroyed by fire. That, that Greek phrase that he uses there, since all these things will be dissolved, it's the same phrase, the same word in verse 10. We talked about it last night. It li- it literally means loosed, that it's been let go of. And the imagery, the idea is that the, the universe will fly apart. It will dissolve and some suggest, and I think it's an interesting imagery to consider that God who holds all things together. We, we sing that song. He's got the whole world in his hands. That God who holds all things together. The, the idea is that he releases it and the atomic molecular bonds of the cosmos then separate And so Peter's told us that this, this judgment is coming. And since this is the case, since this is a fact, since this is a promise that all these things are going to be uh, burned and melt and dissolved. He leads us to application. What do we do in light of that? Remember, he's answered the question already. Why, why it hasn't happened yet? The only reason that Jesus hasn't returned yet Is because of God's grace and kindness that, that, that as many people as possible will be saved. That the door of God's grace and the invitation to salvation remains today. It is still open today. It remains for now, but not forever. And so what do we do in light of this? Peter asks the question, what manner of person that we ought to be? And and so there's a a challenge for us as the um, Christian. If you name the name of Jesus Christ this morning, this is something for us to consider. The phrase, what person, it means what kind. uh, What manner means what what type. What kind of person am I supposed to be? What type of person does God want, want me to be? And having told us the very sobering news of the day of the Lord, notice Peter doesn't say, you better figure out when this is going to happen. You, you better join along with the atomic scientists and pull out your calculator and, and, and figure out, you know, the equation so that you can figure out the conversion rate of what 90 seconds means for us today. Like, when is that happening? He doesn't lead us to that. He doesn't point us to that. He he points us to a very different calculus, if you will. He he points us to character. What are we to consider? Character. We're to consider our, our character, who we are before the Lord and our life before the Lord. He basically says, since everything around you in this life is going away, It's going to be burned up. You and I, we better figure out what kind of person that we ought to be. And and that word ought carries the the emphasis of necessity. It carries the emphasis of priority. It it should hopefully be a a prompt for us uh, uh, of of evaluation. Of a self-check. And an urgent one at that. He, he directs us inward. He, he first says, listen, in light of what's going to happen, we, we should look inward. Take inventory of our life. Take, take a moment and just ask the question and hopefully answer it. What, what defines my values today? What defines my priorities? What drives me? What's my pursuit and my passions and the things that I'm investing in? Dare I say uh, that, that too many of us, I include myself in this, that we, we are uh, occupied by the unimportant. Or we get too worried about worldly things, which Peter has told us already. What, what's the end of worldly things? It's all temporary. It's all disposable. It, everything goes in the burnable trash. At my house, the the, there's two there's two um, uh, cages, and they spelled it wrong. One says combustibles, and the other one says incombustibles. (laughs) God says it's all going in the combustibles, the combustibles, and since that is true, then how should that impact? What kind of difference? Does that perspective make or should make in our life when it comes to things, when it comes to money, when it comes to the time and the energy uh, that we spend and we invest in, in, in things and the pursuit of things. Cause we can get attached to a great many things. We can get attached to the pursuit of things, right? We, we can, you and I can, and, and there's a temptation to adopt the world's definition of success. And we look then to things to make us happy and fulfilled. And sadly, uh, you find out as I find out, uh, and I have to continually find out the hard way that things don't make us happy. Maybe for a moment. And really when he says these things, he's not just talking about material things. It can be anything, anything that this world that it touts as valuable, as worthwhile as success. The world's metrics of fame and popularity and power and money and outward beauty and position In everything that, that we often esteem and want to pursue, just the question in itself is a good one. I pause and, Lord, we we make poor investments. We often sacrifice what's truly important: our relationship with God, our family, our friends, relationships. we, we those suffer often for temporary things, only to find out what we thought was going to be so great isn't. And we're left with the very sobering reality of that. We wasted time on this. We wasted energy on this. Last week uh, in the news, a famous Puerto Rican singer, uh, Daddy Yankee announced that he essentially is quitting secular music. And he he wants to focus on his faith uh, in Christ. And so at a concert um, last week and replayed on his social media he had 49, he has 49 million followers on his social media. I think I have 49. <laughs> he, he, he told the crowd of his plans. I, I pray, I pray for this man that his boldness would remain. He says, I'm not ashamed to tell the whole world that Jesus lives in me and I will live for him. He said this in Spanish. For many years, I've tried filling a hole in my life that no one could fill. I tried finding a purpose. And on many occasions, it seemed as if I was happy, but something was missing for me to feel complete. I mean, here's a man that has fame and followers. He has wealth. He has all that the the world, you know, the the goods of the world. And yet he he comes to tell us that there is an empty hole in his soul. And he tried to fill it with all these things. And Solomon in the old Testament essentially tells us the same thing. This pursuit of vain. Vain these worldly things, these things that do not last, these things that really do not satisfy. And, and gang, we, we can fall into that same trap. We get consumed by the consumables and our possessions can possess us. And, and I think it's a timely message, especially as we, we come upon the Christmas season and you know, the frenzy of shopping. What should really define our life? What's necessary? What's important? Notice the focus isn't on things. The focus is on our character and our conduct. He he says, what manner of persons ought we to be in? Not inquiring things. He says, in our holy conduct, in our godliness. It's two characteristics that should, should define the people of God. If we are followers of Christ who live in light of his imminent return, what should our focus be? Well, it's on our life. It's on a life that we live in holy conduct. That word holy, it means to be set apart. Hagios, it means that God has called us out of the world and into his kingdom of light. And as such, we have a set of attitudes and actions. There's a manner of life that God has prescribed for us. A way in which we live. And that, in that way in our conduct that's set apart, it should be in stark contrast to the conduct of the world. Paul writes the Ephesians, he says, you know, we once walked, we all once walked, once walked according to the pattern of this world. And so what does that look like for us practically? Well, It's the jokes you tell. It's the places we go. It's the websites you click on. It's the movies uh, we watch. It's the music we listen to. It's the things that entertain us. It's what we spend time and talent and our money on what we're pursuing. And often they're, There's a gap for us between what we are today and what we should be. And the beautiful thing about the gospel is that God has promised to each of us that he will complete the good work that he began in Christ Jesus. And God works in us. We talked before, you know, as we are works in progress, we also must work out what God has placed in us. There's a part for us to play, that we pursue these things. You know, uh, as the saying goes, nobody drifts to holiness. And so there's a life that we determine, yes, we're going to live apart from how we used to live. We're going to have holiness in the, the way that we uh, live our life and our conduct and our speech and our actions and our kindness Godliness can be defined as devotion towards God. And I like to think of it this way. If, if our holy conduct is that which is visible, that which is discernible, it's the fruit of the spirit in our lives. It's the things that we do, the things that we say, and even our attitudes often expressed relationally. That's holy conduct. Godliness then is, if you will, it's our vertical relationship to the Lord. It's more than just our public outward conduct. It's our our private world. It's what's happening on the inside. It's the inner life. It's the the inward structural integrity that holds us firm. That we're not just going through the motions, that we're not just playing church, that we've learned Christianese and we can speak it well, that we're fluent in Christianese, but inwardly we're entertaining sin. See, godliness is who we are when no one's watching. And so Peter directs us to look inward and he provides direction for us. What manner of persons ought we to be in holy conduct and godliness? And so how does that translate for us as we look in where we take inventory? Well, part of that then is we don't repent of the things that don't belong, confess and and, and give that to the Lord and then turn towards the things of God. We're to purpose. To pursue purity and godliness. All these things are going to be solved. What, what kind of person are we to be? We're to be holy. We're to be godly. Where else does he direct us to look? Our perspective. Verse 12, looking for looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved. And so he, he repeats what he's told us before. He's making emphasis on, on the, the fact that this, this is happening. Not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. The heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with the fervent heat. And so in light of Christ's imminent return, we, we're to look inward first. Take inventory. Where are you at? Are you playing church, you got one foot in the world and one foot in the Lord? Where else does Peter point us to? He points us forward. Look forward and, and he includes hastening, at least in the New King James is hastening. Another translation reads, "Speed it's coming. Now that phrase can be interpreted in two ways. It, it could be referring. Uh, in one way, when Jesus is speaking in Matthew chapter 24 recorded for us, he says, and the gospel of this kingdom will be preached to the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. And then the end will come. And so there's this, there, there's this sense in, in which we can hasten the coming coming by being involved in the preaching of the gospel to the whole world. Like we can, in a sense, help bring the end. The world is going to end by a terrible judgment. Peter writes the same thing by fervent heat being on fire. If that is the case, not only do you look inward, but we then look outward. We look forward. And, and that's a huge catalyst then for us to then be busy about the father's business to be sharing the good news of salvation because the bad news is judgment's coming and we get to you realize that we, we get to maybe we should rephrase that. We should, we should be sharing the good news. Now, God determines, right? God God is the one who draws the heart and saves a person. We pray that people would get saved so that, that we can get out of here. That's the idea. There's a part of me that feels like, let's go already. And so there's a sense in which uh, it's as though we can participate. And as we share the gospel and we should be, we hasten. The day of the Lord. There's another sense in which it's referring to the attitude of our heart about this coming day. That, we, that we're looking forward to. There's an eagerness that we're wanting this day to come. And both implications, by the way, is the idea of being busy. I know there's different eschatologies. We'll talk about this in a little bit. Um, There's different views of the end times um, and timeline and these things and the events that Jesus talks about. But I do believe there there are three main points that uh, regardless of a person's eschatology applications that are always stand true for all of us. One one is to be ready, which talked about before. right? We're, We're to be ready. We're to be watchful. And the third is that we're, we're to be working. It's not just to sit and put ourselves in some kind of hole or commune and just wait till Jesus comes. We're, we're to be busy about the father's business. And so it could be referring to that idea that, that we're hastening as we're, as we're busy, we're involved, we're active. And all of a sudden here comes the day. And we understand that in the natural, right? Time seems to fly by when you're, when you're busy at something. When you're enjoying something, right? The, as the phrase goes, you know, time flies when you're having fun. Time seems to go by when we're in a good place and there's peace. But time seems to drag when you're in a place that you don't want to be. Third grade history, third grade, third period history class, right? The doctors, when we're complaining about stuff, it's a drag. And we can feel like this is happening forever. The situation's never going to end. And so part of it's also an attitude, a mindset that we have. That when we're active and we're involved and we're engaged in what God has called us to do in the meantime, time will seem to hasten it'll pass by quickly so either way, it speaks to the idea that we're not to be idle. But we're to be eager. Eager in our waiting. Active in our waiting, not passive in our living. And so we'll just phrase it this way. We're to live with devotion too. So we're looking forward to this and, and invest in the things of God. Be actively investing in the things of God. In verse 13, he says, nevertheless, we... That's speaking of you and me. That's to Peter, like Paul, would include the idea that they lived in hopes of the return of Christ in their own time frame. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, according to the promise of Christ, that we look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. You know, the, the day of the Lord that the bible promise that jesus promises that god promised through the prophets it's more than just it's more than judgment it's judgment it's destruction it's doom but it's more than that and it's more than that for the believer that nevertheless we right we according to the promise we're looking for again looking for and hastening, looking for, well, what are we looking for? A new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness will dwell. Peter tells us that God has promised a new heaven and a new earth. Again, the current world is going to be dis- destroyed. And, and there is an, a sense of that, which I consider like, that's, that's probably not a bad thing because the present world is corrupted. It is infected. It has been warped by sin and evil. It's, I don't even know the right word, unfathomable to consider the evil a person can commit against another person. You know, uh, last night, Christy and I were um, watching some of the news, and and part of me didn't want to, especially in regards to what has happened with the hostages um, in Israel and the evil, evil, evil things that Hamas has done, and that they're still women and girls, and there's men that, that are still hostages. Like I, I couldn't fathom the, the, the emotional and, and mental trauma that these families are going to go through. And part of me doesn't want to think about it. Like it's, it's like too much. That's a re, that's a, their reality And then what infuriates me, what like just gets me is then the, the coldness of the world against the Jews and against Israel. Now, again, we have a biblical lens. We can look and see God, God has told us this is going to happen, right? All, All of the world is going to come against this tiny little nation. And yet God is for them. This world is trash. And and so there's a part of me that's like, yeah, good. Do away with it. Let's start new. Let's, Let's have it redeemed. And we, we experience a part of that, right? We experience the pain and the sorrow and disease and corruption. We, we experience the pain of death. Our loved ones. But the new heaven and a new earth, they're a redeemed model, a brand new model the Lord's going to bring. And he tells us in which righteousness will dwell. That word dwell means To reside permanently. And it carries the idea to be at home. Listen, righteousness does not dwell in this present world. Corruption dwells. Injustice dwells. Evil dwells. Lawlessness dwells. Unrighteousness dwells. Crime dwells. You know, Romans chapter eight, Paul writes to that community in Romans 8, 21 and 22. And he tells us something fascinating. It's an interesting insight. He says that creation itself wants to be set free from its bondage of corruption and obtain freedom of the glory of the children of God. And Paul says, for we know that The whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Peter points us inward. He points us forward. We're going to be busy about the father's business, but he also points us upward to know that we, we can live knowing a better world is coming. And so we get to look forward to these things. That our heart wouldn't be dismayed. That we wouldn't fall apart. To know that God is in control. And something better has been promised. According to his promise, we look for these things and we wait for these things. And then he says in verse 14, Therefore, beloved, looking forward, looking forward to these things. Again, he bookends it with where he began be diligent. To be found by him in peace without spot and blameless, outward and inward, a life of integrity, a life of witness. Jesus said, when these things begin to happen, stand and look up for your salvation. Your redemption draws near Luke 21, 28. And so now Peter tells us, we're going to look inward. We can look upward and we we get to look forward forward. Or we look forward and then we can now look upward. How how do we, how do we have this perspective then though? If the day of the Lord is going to be a terrible time of judgment, if it's going to be destruction of this world, as we know, and everything that we know is all going to burn up. How is it then that you and me as the Christ follower, how is it then that we as Christians can be looking forward to this day? Eagerly waiting for this day. Wanting this day. Anticipating this day. Like I'm, I'm looking forward to Christmas. I'm looking forward to Christmas Eve. As we gather together and celebrate the birth of Christ. I think it's gonna be a lot of fun. It'll be a blessing to be in a different place again. I'm looking forward to, to New Year's Eve. When we gather and. You know, for a great party, a wholesome way just to hang out and bring in the year. Have yummy food and play some great games. I'm looking forward to that. But how do we look forward to the day of the Lord as Peter describes a day of doom and destruction of fire of everything that we know it's going to be gone. That we should live an expecting hope that's the idea uh, of an imminent rescue that we're going to look upward here here's how listen we're, we don't look forward to judgment judgment's been paid for us the cross is the payment the empty tomb is the receipt we don't look for judgment we look for our redemption We look for our rescue. That's what we eagerly await for it. Christ coming back means something very different for us as the Christ follower. Paul says for our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will what? Will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed or made according to his uh, glorious body. According to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Philippians 3, 20 21. Paul would write to the Corinthian church and, and, and say, when he comes, we're going to be just like him. The writer of Hebrews says, and as it's appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. And to those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation, for redemption. As we wind down, listen, this is the most important part. I, I believe the reference to God saving Noah before the flood that Peter referred to back in chapter two, verse five, that he alludes to again by talking about how God flooded the world the fact that he talked about how God delivered Lot before destruction in verse seven of chapter two, that that provides a wonderful basis of our hope, a wonderful promise of our rescue before God's judgment on this world. It's not that we look forward to destruction. It's not that we look for the doom, but we look forward to deliverance as someone once said in a kind of a jokey way, but I think it's true we're we're, as Christians, we're not doom and gloom, but we're boom and zoom. (laughs) I told you last Sunday that I believe that the Bible teaches that the day of the Lord is not just a day. It's not a single day, a 24 hour period, but it's an event. And in this event, in this period, this, this day of the Lord marked by events, it consists of a series of things that will happen. Now, again, I'm going to pause. I, I, I understand. and I realize there are different views to this. And I know there are uh, teachers of the word of God who love the Lord, who teach or um, gifted teachers. And they have a, a different interpretation, a different view of these things. And I respect that. And I honor that. But I, I, I believe this, what I'm going to tell you. I believe that the Bible teaches us that in the series of events of this event called the day of the Lord, the first installment, the first transaction of the return of Christ is the rapture of the church. That it is the sudden, unexpected, unpredictable, uh, you know, last week I likened the return of event to the the Super Bowl, where the Super Bowl has different things. There's the coin toss, there's the kickoff, there's halftime that the rapture is the kickoff event that ushers in the series of events of the day of the Lord. Now the word rapture in itself doesn't appear in the Bible, but the concept of it does. I mean, just just like the word Trinity doesn't appear in the Bible, but the doctrine and the concept of God being triune, a tritinerary, you know, uh, uh, three persons in one of the Godhead, that does. The word rapture is a it's a transliterated word, taken from the Latin word, Latin rapio or raptus, and it means uh, a sudden taking away, a snatching. And the word rapio or raptus, it appears in the Latin Vulgate version of the Bible, which was translated from the Greek. And the Greek word that was translated into raptus, where we get the word raptures, the Greek word's harpazo. And it carries the same definition, the same idea, a sudden taking away. And that word appears in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I'm going to read you verses 13 through 17. You can turn there if you want. First Thessalonians 4, 13 through 17. We read for the Lord himself will come down from heaven. With a loud command or, or a shout. With the voice of the archangel. With the trumpet of God. And we and we read that the dead in Christ will rise first. And after that, we who are alive, those who remain, they're still alive. We will be caught up. And that's the word right there. Caught up. That, that's the word harpazo. That's the word raptio. That's the word where we get the rapture from. We'll be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. And he concludes in verse 18, actually, therefore, comfort, comfort one another with these words. How can we look forward to the day of judgment? How do we look forward to a time when God's going to pour out his wrath? Because we're not looking for the destruction, right? We're looking for our deliverance and the fact that he's coming back before He's coming back for us before this happens. That's how we comfort one another with these words. Jesus is coming back. That's what he's promised. And and God, I believe the Bible teaches us that we are going to be caught up with him, caught up. Those of us who are alive and remain when he comes back, that just as God did with Noah, just as God did with Lot, before judgment fell, he rescued them and delivered them first. And it will be instantaneous. And along with that, there'll be this instantaneous transformation of our bodies from mortal, from this flesh, Paul calls it this tent. And we're going to be put on, we're going to be transformed. We're going to have immortal. We're going to be fit for life eternal. Now, Paul calls it a mystery. That was, this hope was a mystery, but now it's revealed in first Corinthians 15, Paul writes, listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. And the idea is not sleep, like take a nap, take a siesta. It's a biblical euphemism for, for dead passing away. We're we're not all going to die, but we will all be changed the living and the dead. We just read that in Thessalonians. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the idea like quicker than we can blink our eye at the last trumpet for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable or incorruptible. And we will all be changed. 1 Corinthians 15, 51 through 52. And so gang, I, I believe the scripture teaches that That we can look forward to this day and we can look up for this day and and we can be comforted as a result of this day. When the Lord comes for us, see the rapture is when the Lord comes for us, he comes in the clouds and he comes and he takes us up. and We're going to meet him together in the air. And when that event happens, I believe that it's going to set off then the series of the events that consists of what is called the day of the Lord time of tribulation that the prophet Daniel spoke of the time of Jacob's trouble, that the installments that we read of judgments of the bowl and uh, the vile judgments of the book of revelation, all of that, that takes place in the seven year period. And then the latter half of it being the great tribulation. The Old Testament talks about when, when Jesus then comes back, he's going to stand on the Mount of Olives in Zechariah 14 and his feet will touch the Mount of Olives and a great earthquake will happen and the mountain will split in two, but that's not allegorical. That's going to be literal. When Jesus ascended from heaven, the the disciples were watching and the angel said, Hey, my paraphrase, Hey, knuckleheads, what are you doing? Don't just stand and gawk. The same Lord who you see left, he's going to come back in the same manner in the same place. So go be busy about what he's called you to do. And when that happens, when he comes back, judgment will happen. The nations will be judged. Jesus will establish a thousand year reign. And the final installment of the day of the Lord will come when a new heaven And a new earth and a new Jerusalem are presented in these series of events. You can read through the book of revelation. And again, we, we know the end. We, we have a a sneak preview of coming attractions. It's God's version of apple trailers right here. Revelation 21, revelation 22. Let me read you revelation 21. John says, now I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth passed away and there is no more sea. That's kind of sad. We better go in the ocean as often as we can. Also, the, uh, the picture of heaven is there's no more sleep. So that's why I've tried to get as much as I can now. But It's glorious. Then I, John, saw the holy city. The new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. There is a new heaven and a new earth coming. There's a new Jerusalem coming, which we're going to dwell in which righteousness dwells. But as a series of events that will happen, these things that the Bible describes in great detail. And so how do we look forward? How do we, Hasten! How do we eagerly await for these things? Well, it's when we have the proper perspective, I believe, and I lovingly contend, that the return of Christ for us begins with the rapture when he takes us. Titus writes that we look for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Titus 2.13. And it's that aspect of our being taken out of here at any moment that becomes then the catalyst for our living a pure and holy and godly life without blemish, without spot. It is a purifying hope. First John three, three says, we know that when Christ appears, we will be like him for we will see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope purifies himself just as Christ is pure. And so the return of Christ is a great motivator of God's grace for us to live in purity, to live in holiness, because we don't know when he's coming. And I want to be found. I hope that you do too, be found by him spotless and blameless. And so it's a purifying hope and it's a comforting hope. And I want to follow what Paul writes in Thessalonians 5, 9 through 11. Again, I realize there might be different views of this. I respect that. I honor that. This verse tells us God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us. So if I can amplify this a little bit, that whether we wake or sleep, whether you think it's pre-trip, mid-trip, post-trip, that we should live together in the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another and edify one another as you're also doing. The promise of Christ's return is to be the catalyst. Peter says it's a catalyst for us to take inventory of our life. Look in. What are your current pursuits? What are the things that drive you? What are you investing in? And he directs us. It's not things. It's, it's character. It's, it's conduct. It's holiness. It's godliness. What else does the promise of Christ's return point us to? Well, we can look forward. We eagerly wait for this day. It's not a passive wait. It's an active wait. It's a working wait. It's an involved wait. It's an investing Wait. It's busy about our Father's business. And then also, we can look up to know redemption draws nigh. A new heaven and a new earth will come. And God will right every wrong. This present evil world is going to go away, and God will rightly judge it. And along with that, it's a purifying hope and a comforting hope that Jesus Christ is coming back for us. Amen? Amen. Father, I thank you for your word. Thank you, God, for this promise that we get to be reminded of today. I know that it's sobering. I know there's a lot to this. But Lord, I pray that we would live in simplicity of our response, that we would love you and worship you. God, if we have pursued things that we know that in the end, it's going to amount to nothing. Lord, help us to make whatever course correction that we need to make today. That we would value what you value. Lord, that we would invest in the things that are eternal. God, I pray that we be busy, that if we believe that this is true and we do, then what does it mean for us? But also what does it mean for our neighbor and our friends? That we be busy sharing your good news. Sharing your love and your grace and your forgiveness with people around us, Lord. And God, that we would hold the hope of heaven in our hearts. And that would be the lens in which we look at the world and all the events of tragedy, of evil, of atrocities, of death and disease. To know Lord, that this isn't, um, our end, that our citizenship is in heaven and that we eagerly await our redemption, the hope of a better life and the hope of life eternal and joy um, forevermore. But Lord, until that day, may we persevere and live for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.